0: You are listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. For more information about our church, you can find us at heightschurch.org. And if you got a Bible, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to meet you in verse 14, and so if you've got that uh, by way of an app on your phone or you've got a paper Bible in your hand, we'll have the words on the screen here in a minute as well. So 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3 in verse 14 is where I'm going to meet you. Uh, this past Thursday, uh, I had to go to the doctor for my annual physical. You know, that's just a fun day when you have to go for that. And uh, so I was going into the doctor's office, and I knew everything she was pretty much going to tell me before I showed up. All right, this is what she's going to tell me. You need to lose weight. You need to exercise. You need to, you know, stop drinking Dr. Peppers. You need to stop eating out as much. You know, you need to lower your stress level, which I always love how they tell us that. And we're like, well, man, if we could figure that out, that'd be great. Lower your salt intake. I knew all of those things walking into the doctor's office before I ever walked in. So sure enough, during the physical, what does she tell me? lose weight, exercise more, lower your salt intake, stop drinking Dr. Peppers, you know, stop eating out so much, lower your stress level. I, I knew that's what she was going to tell me. That's what she told me. Thursday night, I get a chance to go to the Astros game. And um, <laughs> so what do I do? Well, do we have a picture of my dinner on the, on the screen? Did you get that? Okay, there's my dinner. I like a good footlong hot dog when I go to the Astros. I put mustard on my footlong hot dog. Don't put ketchup on it because I'm an adult. Um, but, and I always like to do this. Half onions, half sweet relish. There's my dinner, right? What do I drink? Well, actually, they don't have Dr. Pepper. Isn't that wrong of them? I have to settle for Mr. Pibb when I go to the Astros. But I drank two Mr. Pibbs of this. Why is it that we know what to do, but then we don't do it, right? Am I the only one? Well, you can take that picture down anytime if you want to. Sorry, you just go right ahead. I don't want anybody getting like, man, I'm going to focus on lunch. Why is that? Why do we know what to do? I knew exactly what she was going to tell me to do. She told me what to do, and then Thursday night I'm like, nope, don't want to do it. want we'll to do what I want to do. Isn't that an illustration of the condition of sin in all our lives? That we know what to do, but then we turn around and we don't do what we ought to do. Jesus tells us in the Bible this. He says in Mark 12, in verse 30, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right. He's essentially saying right there, Put God first. Matthew 6.33 Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. And so we see throughout the Bible often that we are called to seek God first. But we're not a people that seek God first. right? We, We may seek God second or third or fourth. We change our priorities. We move God down. We say, God, maybe we don't have enough time for you right now. And so that's why we're doing this series called God First, because we want to remind ourselves of something we might already know, that we're to put God first. But what we're also trying to do and help you out is come alongside and equip you in that and encouraging you that and taking some steps and putting God first. So in your worship program, you see this insert And it's our God First insert. It's going to have it here all four weeks. We're giving you ways, resources for you to kind of put into practice what we're talking about here on Sunday morning. So, one of the things I'm going to be doing on September 8th and 15th at 9 o'clock in here, I'm going to have a two week class on how to read your Bible. I'm going to turn around and teach the same class on September 22nd and 29th in the evening. Those are Sundays. Just two weeks on how to read your Bible. Because this morning I'm going to kind of encourage you to put the Bible first. But I realize some of you don't know how to really read your Bible. I grew up going to church. No one ever taught me how to read the Bible until I got to seminary. And then in seminary when I was called to be a pastor is when I finally really learned how to read scripture. And so I don't want to assume that you know how to do this. I want to help you do this. All right. So we're going to have those classes as a way for you to be equipped in reading your word. There's another great book on that uh, called Read the Bible for All It's Worth. You can check it out. It's a short read. Other ways you can put God first in your Bible study. This yellow insert are your discipleship classes coming up starting after Labor Day. You can kind of uh, fill that out. You can put the whole thing in the offering basket later. You can tear off the bottom. You can get in one of those classes as well. That's going to encourage you in putting God first uh, as you read Scripture. And so let's do that right now. Let's read Scripture together. So I'm going to invite you to stand if you don't mind. And let's read verses 14 through 17 of 2 Timothy 3. And when we read a passage in its entirety we're going over, we always like to stand and honor Of God's word as we read. Pick up in verse 14. Paul says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. And we believe this is God's word. And you may be seated. You know, when Paul is writing this letter, he really writes two letters uh, to a young pastor by the name of Timothy, a young guy in his faith that Paul is encouraging along just to help grow in his faith. And in verse 14, Paul says these words, but as for you, continue in the faith. That you believe. That you've been taught. Continue in this faith that you have believed. Uh, that you have learned from your childhood. The words continued in there. It's going to mean to remain in. To stay in. So he's saying, you know, Timothy, keep going in your faith. Remain in your faith. Continue in your faith. The faith that you have learned since a child. A faith that you've said you now believe. That you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Keep Going Now, why is Paul encouraging Timothy to continue in? Why would he be encouraging you to continue in your faith today? Why is he saying to us, remain in your faith? Well, scan with me chapter 3, if you will. In verse 1, uh, we see that we need to continue in our faith because in the last days, difficult times are going to come. We drop down to verse 6. We see that false teachers will come in and try to lead people away in their faith. Verse 7 would encourage us to continue in, to remain in the faith in which you have in Christ, because there are going to be people who are always learning, always having a form of godliness, if you will, but not coming to know Christ as their Savior. He says in verse 12, indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted we have to know that when we continue and remain in our faith there are going to be times we'll be persecuted for that faith and that persecution is going to look different uh, based on the person maybe based where you live but Paul's saying that's going to happen so continue in remain in your faith but notice in chapter 4 in verses 3 through 4 what he says as well as a way to encourage us to continue in our faith he says there for the time is coming When people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So we see that we're to continue in this faith, that difficult times are going to come, so remain in your faith. You know, this past month, um, very sadly, there were two men, two prominent Christian leaders, a a pastor and an author, uh, also a musician, uh, that came out very publicly and denounced their faith in Christ. They said, you know, we once were believers, but we're walking away. We no longer believe in Christ. It was Josh Harris, who is a popular author and, and pastor of a very large church in Maryland, Marty Sampson from Hillsong. Here's what Josh Harris posted on his Instagram account when he Essentially, said, I'm leaving the faith. He said, I've under, undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. By all the measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I'm not a Christian. Many people tell me there's a different way to practice faith, and I want to remain open to this. And man, we... We read that, we see that, and we're thinking, that's, that's sad. That ought to break us at a level. Because even though you may say, well, I don't know that guy. I mean, here is a guy who said, hey, I'm a pastor who's preached for years, who stood up for years and said, here's the hope in Christ that you can have. Who's now saying, I'm walking away from that hope. I don't know that hope. I don't believe in that hope. A few days later, a gentleman by the name of John Cooper, who is in the Christian band Skillet, responded with these words publicly as well on his social media account. And I thought his words were outstanding because it really matched, I think, what Paul is saying here in verse 14 and continuing in the faith. John Cooper says this as a way of encouragement to you and to me to line up with what Paul says. He says, we need to value truth over feeling, truth over emotion said, I implore you, please, in your search for the relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God, for he changes not. Man, I read that, and we could probably all say what? Amen. Right? We live in a culture that wants to put you know, feelings over truth, wants to put emotions over truth. But what Paul's saying is, no, we we put truth over all those things. We continue and we remain in, in what you have said you believe, what you have learned as a child, that these sacred writings have, notice verse 15, has pointed us and made us wise for salvation in Christ. I love what he says. And how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. He says, remain in this. Stay in these sacred writings. Now, when Paul's writing this and he mentions sacred writings, what is he talking about? Old Testament, right? New Testament's still being written right now. You know, I have some letters, You may have a gospel by about now, but, but when Paul's mentioning sacred writings, he's pointing us to the Old Testament. And you might think, well, wait a minute, I only read the Old Testament through my Bible reading plans and the rest of the time I try to hang out in the New Testament because the Old Testament can kind of be kind of weird sometimes if we're all honest with ourselves, right? And there's just some weird stuff in the Old Testament. If you have figured out the book of Ezekiel, please sit me down. I have questions. There's a lot of questions in the book of Ezekiel. There's a lot of things in the Old Testament. I'm like, what in the world are they talking about here? Right? So sometimes we just run to the new. But I love that in the Psalms when I and in the Psalms is one of my favorite books in all the Bible. When I'm reading the Psalms, and the, the Psalmist is like, Oh, how, how I love your law, O Lord. I'm like, dude, that's Deuteronomy. Yeah? You know? Like he's fallen in love with Leviticus. We run from Leviticus. But why do we need Leviticus? Why do we need Deuteronomy? Why do we need all those books of the Old Testament? Because all of the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. See, you needed the law in the Old Testament to show us that none of us could keep the law. That we are all law breakers. And you needed that law in the Old Testament to show us that there is one we need who can perfectly keep the law. One we need who can be tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So when he would die on the cross for us, he died a perfect sacrifice. So you read all those sacrifices in the Old Testament, you're thinking, what in the world are all these sacrifices for? All those sacrifices in the Old Testament pointed us to the fact that none of them could finally take away sin. That yes, they would go through the day of the atonement. And yes, the high priest would go and, and say, okay, your sin is covered. But guess what the book of Hebrews tells us? They had to keep doing this year after year after year. Why? Because none of those sacrifices were good enough to take away our sin once and for all. All those sacrifices in the Old Testament were pointing us to the Lamb of God. So when Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, is Christ who says, I am the ultimate true sacrifice. What about all those kings in the Old Testament you read about? What do all those kings show us? See, all those kings in the Old Testament show us that there is not one true king in humanity. David, Saul, Solomon, man, they did great stuff, right? But what happened? They all sinned big time. They weren't the true king that all of us needed in humanity. And then here comes Christ who says, I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the one true king you need. So Paul is saying here, understand that the scriptures make you wise unto salvation. Continue in the scriptures in which you firmly believe because they make you wise for salvation. You know, when I was growing up um, in youth, I know this is going to be a little different for you. But when I was growing up and I needed to spell a word in homework, I'd say, mom, how do you spell this? She would tell me to do this. Look it up. But here's the crazy thing. I could not ask Alexa. I could not Google it. And I could not hop on YouTube. I had to go to a book called The Dictionary and sit down and open a dictionary and find the word. Now it got even crazier if there was a subject I was studying. Hey, what is this about? We had this bookshelf of red books from A to Z, Encyclopedia Britannica's. And you pulled one off and you opened it up and you found platypus and you read all about the platypus. And there you go, you wrote your little paper on platypus. We're all natural learners, we're all seeking wisdom. So whether you were like me as a kid you pulled out a dictionary or encyclopedia, or you ask Alexa, you go to YouTube, you go to Google, we're all Googling something. We want information. And, and Paul's saying right here, you can come to the Scriptures because the Scriptures are going to make you wise for salvation. The Scriptures will give you wisdom. And then in verses 16 through 17, he's showing us how the Word of God works in our lives. Verse 16, all Scripture... "...is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness." He says all Scripture, and when I I believe he says all there, I think he is pulling in the New Testament. So what we would have Genesis through Revelation is breathed out by God. Breathed out by God is what we're going to call inspiration of Scripture. Scripture. Okay, so we do not hold to the fact you have 40 authors of Scripture. You're not going to hold to the fact that that these men wrote the Bible and then God inspired it. Okay? We would say historic Christianity holds to the fact of the inspiration of Scripture being that God inspired the readers, or the writers, excuse me, that God gave them the words to write. So the words that they wrote were God's words. So if we hold to the fact that all Scripture is breathed out by God, all of the Bible is God's Word, then I've got to put truth here in my life and experience here. I have to put truth high up and feelings second. I've got to come into my life and say, okay, as a believer in Jesus Christ, I hold to the Word of God, and so I'm putting myself under the Word of God. Instead, the mistake I think a lot of us make is we do this. We put ourselves over the word. Well, God, you don't really have to have first place, do you? I, I mean, I can, I can be first some. Or I'll tell you what, God, how about we call it a tie? Well, is that okay? Can we, can we call it a tie and I'll just put my, my truth and my experience and my wants my desires next to your word? Is that okay? No. It's this is his word. And if this is his word, then his word is true. His word has authority in our lives. So what we do as believers in Jesus Christ, to follow Christ, means we submit ourselves under the word of God. So now it's the word of God that's changing our thoughts. Now it's the word of God that's changing our actions. Now it's the word of God that's changing our speech. Now it's the word of God that's changing what we do and what we seek and how we live our lives. Because did you notice what Paul says in verse 16? He says this is God's breathed out word and it is profitable for you it is good for you he says in verse 17 that it equips you and it trains you every man and woman to live the life that god wants you to live so this is the profitable word of god that the more you intake the more you read the more you apply the more you live is training you in righteous living so it's moving you to live a certain way it's equipping you for the work that god wants you to do you know and that word profitable that he uses in verse 16 it's a really interesting word because he actually uses it again in another letter to timothy in first timothy 4 in verses 7 through 8 see when he writes timothy this first letter in chapter 4 verses 7 through 8 paul says have nothing to do with irrelevant uh, silly myths Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, and that word value is the same Greek word as profitable from Second Timothy, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so Paul there in First in Timothy 4.8, he's saying, look, bodily training, it's good. It has some value. It is profitable, but spiritual training is more profitable. So let me ask you this. Do you focus more on your physical training or your spiritual training? Are you more passionate about your gym membership and your workout program than you are about following Christ? Is the gym membership and the workout program, is that bad? No, that's great. It has value, is what Paul's saying. Like walking, running, picking up heavy things and putting them down. Those are okay. I don't fully understand all of that. I've never seen someone running that looks happy. I mean, if you think about that, am I the only one in here? I mean, if you pass joggers on the road, I'm like, you just look sad this looks like it hurts. Why would I want to now go out and run a marathon with you, right? I've never really fully understood weightlifting. Wait, it's heavy, and you want me to pick it up? Eh, I don't know. Those things have value. I'm all for them in a modified ways, right? Yeah, I'm all for going for a nice walk, playing golf, kayaking, doing all those things, those things have value, but Paul is pointing us to something deeper, that the spiritual life is what we ought to place above the physical life. We're training the spiritual life in all godliness. So if Paul's right, how do you do this? If Jesus is right when he says, seek me first, give me everything, right? He says, you know, you love God with all you have, if Jesus is right, if Paul is right, if the Word of God is right, and we're to put God first, how do we do it? All right, so let me outline a few ways for you quickly. Number one, you have to make a commitment to read your Bible. All right, some of this is going to be the same plan I gave you last week under priorities, okay? You have to make a commitment. Last week we said we are going to make a commitment of trying to spend time with God 15 minutes a day. All right, how'd you do? Some days probably okay, some days maybe not. All right, so you got to make a commitment. I'm going to read my Bible. All right, putting a priority of putting God first. I'm going to read scripture. I make a plan. All right, so I made a commitment. Secondly, I'm going to make a plan. If you plan, uh, then you're going to probably succeed in it. If you fail to plan, then plan to fail. All right, aim at nothing, hit nothing. So you got to make a plan. You have to determine the time you're going to read. So in your commitment and in your plan making, say, all right, I'm going to read my Bible in the morning. Maybe I'm going to wake up a little earlier. I'm going to read at 6 or I'm going to read at 12 on my lunch break or I'm going to read at 10 before I go to bed. But in your plan, get specific. When are you going to read? Where are you going to read? Okay. There's a chair in our living room that I like to read my Bible from. Is it a magical chair? Nope. It's the chair that I like to read my Bible from. Why? Why do I like to sit pretty much in the same place in my living room where I read my Bible? Are we not creatures of habit? Yeah, we're creatures of habit, right? For some of you, you have the same morning routine over and over and over and over again. Some of you sit in the same seats every Sunday. I move seats, and some of you have asked me, Man, you move seats on Sunday morning. What happened? I get more air conditioning over there than I do over here, okay? So I move seats. It's not that I love this section more than I love that section, but that's just where, hey, I got more air AC over there. I move seats. It was radical of me to change. But I can worship Jesus just as much over there as I can over here. So if you've moved seats, some of you already have this morning. God bless you. We'll pray for you if that's troubling you. But I know some of you are sitting in different seats. All right. So I sit in the same seat. Why? I'm a creature of habit. So when I pick up my Bible and I know I'm going to my seat, what am I telling my mind? Guess what? I'm about to meet with God. Okay, So I'm going to make a commitment. I've got to make a plan. Where are you going to read? When are you going to read? What are you going to read? Okay, What are you going to read in your Bible? Look, there are 66 books that make up the Bible. If you are not in the practice of reading, I will not recommend you start in Genesis. All right? Because some of you are going to be like, I'm going to read through the Bible. All right, that's a great, great goal. I'm all for that hear me on that, you're going to hit Genesis, you're going to plow through and you're going to think, yes! And then you're going to hit Leviticus and, you know, numbers and it's just going to get weird and you're going to get discouraged, you're probably going to quit, okay? So if you're not reading regularly, start in a gospel, right? You can start in Matthew, I recommend you start in Mark, it's short, it's 15 chapters, there's a lot of action in Mark, there's not a lot of teaching, so it kind of reads like your Facebook feed, okay? So start in Mark, It's a good rhythm to get in. Listen, Google it. Just Google on your phone Bible reading plans. You're going to get a ton of them. All right? Pick a plan. All right? So make a commitment. Develop a plan. Work your plan. 21 days to start a new habit. All right? So work your plan. But finally, know this and hear me really, really well on this. Is you are loved by God today, not based on what you've done or what you will do but based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. For you. Okay? So, so don't think, well, I haven't been reading my Bible so God doesn't love me. Or I'm going to start reading my Bible so God will love me. No, God loves you based on what Jesus has done for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So, it's not God waiting in heaven for you to get it all right, clean your life all up, and then he goes, All right, now I can love you. No. He says, In the middle of sin, In the middle of disobedience, in the middle of you constantly knowing what to do but not doing it, in the middle of you constantly putting up your hands and going, you're not first right now. God says, I want to be first, and here's how much I want to be first. I'm going to show you my love, demonstrate my love to you. While you're in the middle of pushing me away, I'm coming to you. I'm sending my son Jesus to you to die for that disobedience so you may have Life with me so you may know me. And you might think, man, that's incredible. Where do you hear that from? Well, it's found in the Bible. And here's what Jesus says about the Bible. He says in John 15, 11, These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. It's in God's word that you can find out how much God loves you. It's in God's Word that your joy can be full when you come to this Word and say, "All right, I'm putting it first, of first priority. I'm going to read it. I'm going to submit myself to it. For some of you today, it may be coming to Jesus Christ first for salvation. You've yet to place your faith and your trust in Christ and Christ alone. That if you died today... You would not be in heaven for all of eternity, but you would be in hell because you have yet to receive God's offer of salvation through his son Christ. I love what Billy Graham said, and I'm going to say this in close. Billy Graham once said, God has done everything possible to make salvation available to you, but you must respond and make that your gift. God has done everything possible today to show you your need for Christ. If you've yet to come to Christ today, make that your gift. Say, today, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I need you to forgive me of my sin, and I'm ready to follow you all the days of my life. Thank you for listening to the Sermon Audio Podcast from Heights Baptist Church in Alvin, Texas. On Sunday mornings, we have life groups for all ages at 9 a.m., followed by worship service at 10.30 a.m. For more information about how to support the ministry of Heights Baptist Church, go to heightschurch.org.